You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and get to talk about a victory on this Monday night with co-host Will Miles. You can find him on his site, readreaction.com, read and reaction on YouTube. Find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, it's been about a month since we could talk about a Gator dub right here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, pretty impressive second half of the Gators there. Yeah, I mean, look, anytime you win a game by 17 points in the SEC, you, you got to... You got to embrace it, right? It, it wasn't perfect. There were a lot of things that need to improve, but Napier's pretty much said that after every game this year, but uh, four times he's had to say it after a loss. So to be able to say it after a win, especially on the road, and look, I mean, A&M's not having the season we thought they would. Clearly at three and six, they're not that team, but you know, there's always going to be some up and some down, and given that LSU took care of Alabama this weekend, you know, I think that loss sort of has a little bit different luster to it now. Um, certainly the Georgia loss is one everybody expected. When the Utah game, the Tennessee loss, you know, Tennessee's obviously played very, very well. And the Kentucky loss. I mean, Kentucky's just barely outside the top 25. Now, obviously, you got to start winning some of these games mm-hmm. when you're at Florida. And, and that's that's what we hope is going to be coming in the next couple of years. But uh, to take care of business when you need to take care of business on the road, yeah, it's a big win for for Florida and for Napier. Um, if for no other reason, we talked last week about having to get to 6-6. Six and six. Unless something catastrophic happens, they should be able to get there now in these last three games. So now you can start ticking off the other goals, right? It's no longer just about making a bowl game. It's about, hey, can we get to 8-4? and four? Hey, can we go and and take take out our rival who quite honestly is playing pretty well especially yeah. if you watch them against Miami you know can you shut down a team like like South Carolina who quite honestly embarrassed you last year so those sorts of things i think those goals that are in front of them are now a little bit different they they feel different they taste a little bit different just because of the uh just because of the way that Florida was able to take take care of Texas A&M there in the second half absolutely we'll get into that too right before we end this episode kind of 
Does this game change your outlook on the rest of the three games uh, of the season for the Gators, of course, as Will mentioned? And we said it last week, too. <laughs> Florida State might be the best team on the uh, on the schedule. And actually, right now, that is, you know, South Carolina, Vanderbilt uh, are left. You know, you wondered if Texas A&M could find something later in their season, but... Um, you know, well, they didn't find it versus Florida. So if they find it now, it look <laughs> it might be a better win. Uh, but we know the issues they were facing and stuff, but it does not matter. Uh, Gators go on the road, get the victory over the Aggies anyway. So we'll plenty uh, we'll get into it plenty right here on Gators breakdown. Uh, Billy Napier on why he thinks the defense turned it around uh, in the second half. The Gators will. Looking at this game, looking at the whole season, they're still looking for that complete game. Uh, of course, there were, as you said, one, this was not a perfect game. And as I said, I might have been nitpicking at times, but there are so many times for Florida to just make this a blowout uh, there in the second half. So that's what, you know, kind of Billy Napier's discussing and talking about when they're looking for that complete game. Uh, and basically, what can, what are some things the Gators can do to put that complete game uh, together? We'll look at some of those things. Uh, as before we sign off here on this episode of Gators Breakdown, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, you know, that little thumbs up right there on YouTube if you're watching live. That really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Subscribe if you haven't done so yet. Get those notifications when Gators Breakdown goes live. All your support right there really helps on the YouTube version of Gators Breakdown. And check us out on Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description. Get access to that Discord server uh, and everything that goes on there. Keep the conversation going with Gator Nation. Uh, and well, before we get started, uh, some heartbreaking news out there for one of our own out there in Gator Nation. Uh, my buddy Daniel out, out there on Twitter, and you know he and I, we've played some uh, video games out there before uh, as well. Um, the heartbreaking diagnosis of his just turned three years old daughter uh, with leukemia. So you see it right there. If you're watching the YouTube version, there's a Venmo link as well. Uh, if you if you can uh, help out there, but Going back to a tweet a week ago, uh, his daughter Florence, uh, he says, our world has forever been shaken to its core and forever changed. Uh, Sunday night, thought they were going to the ER to get fluids to help fight off RSV. Instead, they found out his daughter has leukemia. Be forever grateful for your prayers as we begin this fight there. So, as I said, there's the Venmo link right there. You can also go on my Twitter, at uh, GatorDave underscore SEC. I've retweeted uh, the Venmo link uh, there as well, but has been a positive update. Uh, fighting hard. Uh, this is from the parents here. Fighting hard, and the doctors are really positive uh, about her prognosis. Uh, starting with her treatment while fighting RSV, now she has hit every marker they would have hoped for her to hit in such a short amount of time, uh, and they're proud of her fighting spirit. Uh, so far, Florence, the spinal fluid and blood is free of leukemia. Uh, so the first 28 days of treatment is called induction. Very aggressive. Uh, at the end of the month, their goal is to have no detectable leukemia left in her body. Uh, and the key word is detectable. The chemo, the steroids together appear to be incredibly effective so far. And Florence's stubborn nature and strong will is keeping her going. Uh, so go test for blood daily. Another, you know, some spinal tap coming up as well. Um, bone, bone marrow biopsy. Uh, so... Uh, just all that stuff coming together. They say if that's the case, she'd fit right into the 90% curability rate bracket. Uh, so that's encouraging. It's never going to be 100%. Uh, but if everything looks good at the end of the month, they'll be hopeful that she will pull through this and be cancer-free by the time she turns six. So some positive news 
uh, right there lately uh, from this. But if you can help out, you know, this can go a long way. And all the medical bills that add up, all the you know dinners and stuff that they could probably use right now, uh, you can go on Venmo. There's the QR code. As I said, I've tweeted it uh, out there on Twitter as well. But uh, well, nothing. You, I have a daughter. You have kids as well. Uh, it's something you you, you never want to see. And well, a chance here if if people can, you know, Gator Nation can support each other out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously uh, prayers going out to Daniel and his family in Florence specifically. Um, like you said, we we both have small children, and so you know, it hits home a little bit different, especially when it's one of your own. And that's one of the cool parts about the Florida Gator fan base is that we're a family. We we also bicker, right? We bicker quite a bit, so we're just like a family. And uh, but also, you know. That's one of the cool parts about you having this platform, us having this platform, being able to put something like this out there. And, uh, you know, best wishes to Florence and certainly great news initially. But like you said, I mean, she's three years old and this is a battle they're going to be in for, you know, the next three years in terms of uh, getting to the point where they can finally say she's cancer free. And certainly we'll be praying that that happens. And, uh, you know, hopefully three years from now. We're uh, we're giving this update to people who've been here from from early on, and like you said, if you have the ability to help out, this is really you know beyond football, beyond you know collectives and that sort of stuff. This is real life, and, and it's it's uh, humbling to be able to put this out there for people to to hopefully help out Daniel and his family. Absolutely, absolutely. There. So if you want any more details, uh, reach out to me on YouTube, um, on Twitter as well, anywhere, and we can uh, make sure uh, we get the help out there uh, for Daniel and his family and his little girl Florence there. So, all right, let's talk some football right here, Will, and let's get to what Billy Napier uh, had to say on this Monday, the Monday press conference, of course. And this was, he was asked, Will, about the the defense and, you know, why they turned it around in the second half uh, there. And, you know, we've come on this platform many times. And, hey, when it looks as bad as the Gator defense has looked this season, well, what is the issue? Is it coaching? Is it scheme? Is it players? Who is it? Where, where can we lay the blame? Well, we, we know. It was for as bad as it has looked for Florida. It takes both sides to look that bad. When you're that bad, it is both sides of it right there. But for speaking on Saturday and the big, huge turnaround for this defense, uh, Billy Napier was asked what he saw. I think maybe a few few adjustments, but primarily just 11 for 11 execution, you know. I think that was the thing that was a little bit frustrating for the players and staff. Is like we're in some great positions, you know, and we we don't we got one guy who's short, you know. So, um, you know, you, you got to play well at every level, and then you know it just we were in a lot of plays where one guy's making a mistake and it was getting exposed, right? Whether it's Gap integrity, eye discipline. Um, so I think ultimately they knew and understood what was happening out there, right? So that was the thing that was really cool to me to see is they were vocal at the half about what needed to be addressed amongst themselves, right? I think that's when, um, you know, I think you're making progress. So the staff and players were well aware of what the issues were. Well aware of what the issues were, Will. And, hey, Billy Napier said it after the game. He kind of alluded to it there that it was it was more the players <laughs> than it was the scheme and the coaching there. Um, and like I said, when you when you look as bad as it did, it did take both. I even think I, I think you even said that, Will, uh, at some, some point on Saturday in a tweet or you and I were discussing it uh, at some point on Saturday. Uh, but, you know, 
when Texas A&M failed to score, Will, in the third quarter, it marked the first time since the third quarter of the Missouri game. So it had been 11 consecutive quarters uh, that, you know, Florida held an opponent scoreless or that did not hold an opponent scoreless. It took that long uh, from the Missouri game to the third quarter of the Texas A&M game. So, well, well, we all saw it. It, 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 it was like a, a switch had been flipped, and we saw it all there in the second half of the skater defense. We, better pressure, whether that be guys winning one-on-one battles, whether it be movement up front, blitzes, creepers, whatever, all those key words we heard about this defense in the offseason. Uh, Florida generated pressure multiple ways. Also, better, tighter coverage, man coverage at times on third down. King had to hold on to the ball at times, allowing pressure to get to him. Uh, great calls affecting the quarterback, play good in the early downs, forcing third and long. And, Will, that's probably uh, the one point I'll go to because we saw that so many times against Missouri and against LSU where Florida would have them exactly where they wanted them on third down, and they couldn't seal the deal. And they finally did it against Texas A&M there in that second half, and they sealed the deal. And there were some third and longs there. Florida took advantage of them uh, right there. But, you know, th- that happened in the past. It did not matter versus Texas A&M. And, look, maybe if we're looking for signs and we're looking for progression uh, for this Gator defense, hey, that was something they did. They fought, they got a team in third and long, and they capitalized on it this time. So, uh, in the second half, that was a the big difference for this Gator uh, defense. And, hey, look, going back and looking at it, even got help from a referee on third down uh, one time, so it was uh, very. It was uh, it was it was a turnaround for the Gators, will and if it could go right for him, it did go right for him in that second half. Yeah, I mean, so we knew coming in because A had sort of a disconnect between its overall yardage on the ground and then its its efficiency ratings. That and when I looked into that a little bit deeper in my preview, it. it became pretty clear that they get a lot of they allow a lot of tackles for loss and that happened in both the first half and the second half the difference is, is in the first half AM was three of five on third down and in the for the game overall they were four of 13 so they go one of eight on third downs in the second half and that's the difference and i do i, I disagree with napier from from a standpoint of i do think they made a change i think they made a pretty significant change they very clearly wanted um, Haynes King to try to beat them thrown to the outside. And in the first half, they played a traditional defense that you would play. Um, some typically cover one, but something that you would play that, you know, and I detailed these in the article that I had after the game, but basically it would be categorized as middle of the field closed. And the idea is, is that you're trying to make the guy throw to the outside because you're closing the inside of the field. Well, AM anticipated that and they ran routes that took that safety out of the play and essentially freed up and gave them one-on-one coverage, especially on third down on guys who are on the outside. And Florida corners are not at a place now where they're going to win a lot of one-on-one battles. So what they did in the second half is they switched to more middle of the field open, but then they shaded to the inside for the guys underneath. And so AM had to make a choice. Either the guys who were underneath were were cheating to the inside and King had to throw into the teeth of those guys. Or they had to break those routes to the outside and Florida got him throwing where they actually wanted him to throw. And if you go back and look, and I haven't looked at the chart, but I bet you if you go look at Haynes King's chart in the first half, there's a ton of stuff right down the middle mm. between between the safeties past the linebackers. And if you look in the second half, I bet you most of his chart is outside the numbers because that's where a lot of those throws were going. And King just did not have the, does not have the arm for that. And this is one of those things where, you know, you say, okay, AM had the flu. How much did that make a difference? Well, Connor Wegman can make some of those throws. Haynes King can't. 
but the Florida defense was able to force King into doing what they wanted them to do in the second half. This is the first time, you know, I've, I've been railing now for four or five weeks about Florida's defense not having an identity. And they really sort they imposed their will on AM and made King do what they wanted him to do rather than the other way around. So to see the defense start to dictate it. And the other thing was, is what that did is it made King hold on to the ball for an extra tick. And when he held on to the ball for an extra tick, well, now that frees up the front four to actually start getting some pressure. Human Milan wins a one on one battle, forces a fumble. You've got Ry- uh, Powell Ryland who wins a one on one battle on a stunt, and that causes the. That was a fumble. I think they actually blitzed on that one. They might have brought five. But the the point being that you didn't have to bring two linebackers to threaten the quarterback. They were able to get it with the front four. But part of that is is that the quarterback had to hold on to the ball a little bit more. And so the combination of those two things, winning some individual one-on-one battles, playing the correct technique, but really dictating to Texas A&M what they wanted Haynes King to do rather than the other way around is the reason I think that they were much more successful in the second half. Yeah, um... Uh, YouTube uh, viewer in here, Kingsico. I'm gonna. I hope I said that right there. But yeah, it, it, he brings up a good point too, and did notice that Florida played with some four down linemen. They have four guys with their hand in the dirt. You know, a lot of times when we saw uh, Brenton Cox out there uh, in games before this, it'd be three guys with their hands in the dirt, him standing up on the edge. But you actually did see plenty of times where there, there's four down defensive linemen uh, uh, up front for the Gators. Something I, you know, I do wonder we'll see. You know, some of this is, uh, Will, as you said, too, is team-specific, scheme-specific uh, against Texas A&M, but I do wonder how much of this now carries over. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it's going to. I think some of it's just confidence. I yeah. mean, if you think about it, like this defense is not this bad. And I'm working on something right now looking at talent profiles, and I think you know, once you get into sort of the mid-ranges of the conference, I think the talent matters a whole lot less. But still, I mean, these are talented guys out there, and they're prideful guys out there. And when you start getting lit up over and over and over again, it sort of turns into this – you know, it, it turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy where, oh, well, that scheme didn't work. And now you start and, – and really, one of the things that's been a hallmark of this defense the last three years is a lack of trust in the guy next to you. And if, if you know, one of the things we talked about when, when Cox was dismissed was, you know, well, is this addition by subtraction? Where if you've got someone who's freelancing out there, does this mean now that you can trust that the guy next to you is going to do what he needs to do? Now, under no circumstances was the defense perfect, especially in the first mm-hmm. half. But it did feel like they were in position more often in this game than they have been in the past. And I think that 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 plays a role. The other thing is, is Cox was physically gifted, which meant they were trying to do things with him, um, you know, the creepers and the simulated pressures and dropping guys in the coverage and that sort of stuff. They were trying to isolate Cox or trying to give Cox a numbers advantage in certain instances. I don't think they were quite as cute in this one. I think they just said, Hey, go get it. Like go beat the offensive lineman. We're going to let you pin your ears back and try to go get Haynes King and King never, never forced him to pay for it. There's one play in particular where he threw out to the sideline to a chain and Ventrell Miller made a really nice play, mm-hmm. but Miller was already heading out to a chain before he even, before he even really looked out there to release the ball. And if, if King had just run, it probably would have been a 14, 15-yard run. And so some of it is the quarterback, right? I mean, Haynes King just has not been good all year. And in the second half, he turned into a pumpkin. Now, some of that is the Florida defense, but some of that is also that it's Haynes King. I think if Hendon Hooker was playing in that game, Florida still gets lit up in the second half because they're not good enough to be able to, to do these things consistently over and over and over again. But against an offense that's not very good, they certainly are. So, you know, look, the good news is, is South Carolina's offense hasn't been that great. Vanderbilt's offense hasn't been that great. 
Florida State's going to be a challenge, and I'm really interested to see when you talk about this defense carrying things over, that's the one where I look and say, okay, if, if this defense is really taking a step forward, that's when we're going to know. I don't know that we'll know against South mm-hmm. Carolina. I don't know that we'll know against Vanderbilt. Um, you know, obviously, if they get lit up against those two teams, then we'll know. <laughs> but but yeah. if they play well against those two teams, we'll still be like, okay, against sort of the, the bottom half of the SEC, you're now starting to play well, which, let's be honest, is still an improvement over what we saw yeah. for the first eight games of the year. But, uh, but you know, we're not going to know for a few weeks whether it can carry over unless it reverts back to what it was. And, you know, again, I think a lot of this is just confidence, confidence in the scheme, confidence in your teammates and confidence that if you do your job, the guy next to you is going to do his job as well. And I think we saw a lot of that in the in the second half, a couple of plays that I diagrammed where, again, guys were playing the correct leverage. And and if they hadn't done that, then the whole play gets screwed up. And Napier even mentioned that today in the press conference. The idea that you know they've had ten guys playing the right the right scheme <laughs> at different times, but they need that eleventh. And in the second half, for the most part, they were able to get all eleven. Yeah, I threw it back up there just to kind of re- refresh, put it in the episode yesterday, looking back at the game. But yeah, twenty-one nothing in the second half for the Gators. Completely shut out Texas A&M. Uh, about a 200-yard total yard difference for Texas A&M. 307 in the first half, only 106 uh, in the second half. 11 rushes, one yard, uh, not, not much there. 9 to 26 pass, 95 yards. Uh, just a big difference. 1 to 8 on third down. Uh, there are 37 total plays, 2.9 yards average per play after they averaged 9.3 uh, in the first half. Well, I remember you saying something in the uh, about that first half and 9.3. Was there was there significance to that number besides it just being astronomically high? <laughs> well, I mean, the significance is is that it was two yards worse than the absolute worst defense in FBS. Okay, I knew like, I so knew it, you had something there, but I couldn't remember. It, what, yeah. It's just it nine point three yards per play for an entire half is just atrociously bad, and and uh, you know to end up at the end of the game having only surrendered five point nine is is a freaking miracle, <laughs> <laughs> and and is indicative of how much they improved in the second half. Yeah. Right? I mean we can talk about oh there were some things that were open and oh Haynes King and oh oh, oh. they gave up. <laughs> they, gave, they gave up like 106 yards in the second half and it wasn't like there weren't any plays either right i mean so they give up 29 yards on 14 plays in the third quarter they give up 77 yards on 23 plays in the fourth quarter so that's 2.1 yards per play in the third quarter 3.3 yards per play in the fourth quarter after giving up 9.3 in the first half it's just i mean it's such a turnaround that you know i i if, if you'd have told me oh they'll give up six in the second half i would have been like oh, okay they really improved yes i mean they gave up three <laughs> like that's unbelievable how much they changed just complete 180 yeah yeah uh we'll go back to your other point too you said you know maybe these next couple games we won't be able to tell and stuff what you know that's what we looked at last week you know we was like this is these part of the schedule you have to take advantage and i say it week in and week out you need to get credit for doing what you're supposed to do and we've seen how bad this defense is go back to um the the usf game uh early in the year that's what they just fired their head coach uh and we saw how bad the defense could be against one of the worst teams in college football uh so yeah you didn't do what you were supposed to that day Florida did what they were supposed to in the second half versus Texas A&M maybe even better than they were supposed to after what we have seen this year so we'll see uh, what that means coming up 
uh, there for the Gators versus South Carolina versus Vanderbilt. And look, Will, I mean, at some point, you know, Billy Napier is looking for this team to put together a complete game. And he spoke on that today as well. I woke up thinking about that. Um, that's where that's who we are, right? That's where we're at. I think we're still chasing that, right? Can we put it together possession after possession? You know, I think we we are taking care of the ball better on offense, right? Which is really, if you look at our teams, that's the way we play. We're getting takeaways. Um, you know, we're just very, we got a lot of work to do. You know, I think, um, and I really believe, you know, I know you guys don't like to write about this, but it's it's the human element part of the game. That's just who we are right now. We got, you know, we're working on that component of our team. You know, the football, I think, will take care of itself as that becomes more uh, of who we want to be. Getting closer, uh, I really believe that. You know, I think to go three and out, to get a big punt return, to put a touchdown on the board, you know, I think uh, when we had lost the momentum right there at the end of the half. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what I'm seeing is kind of what I described after the game, that human element. You know, we, we've we spent a ton of time on scheme, fundamentals, situational football. Uh, we lift weights, we run, we focus on all different forms of development physically, okay? But I think that team dynamic, um, you know, the, the quote-unquote culture or brotherhood, however you want to describe that, um, the expectation from each other, right, the accountability at the player level, right? Actually, I'm not necessarily worried about my coach getting on me, but I'm worried about letting my teammate down. I think there's um, a place in this game for an elite team. you got to have that, right? And I think that's what we've been working hard on. You're starting to see some of that show up, I think. Well, Florida didn't need a complete game versus Texas A&M, as we just kind of discussed. The, the big difference, you know, the offense, uh, good in the first half, uh, defense bad in the first half. Turning around in the second half, defense plays really, really great. Offense inconsistent, but, of course, played well enough to win the game. Not a complete game versus Texas A&M, but you got the victory. And you may not need a complete game versus South Carolina. You may not need a complete game versus Vanderbilt. You may not need it versus FSU either, but you know we'll see. That is, I think you will. You'll need a much better performance than what we have seen uh, from this Gator team. I don't know if we'll ever get the complete game <laughs> this season uh, from this Gator team. We know how inconsistent they are, uh, but um, you know you'll wonder what we saw in the second half. Is that a sign? Is that something uh, that you know? There's one more step maybe for this team. We a more consistent offense, a defense that can improve as the season goes along. Hopefully, that second half showed us something on defense, uh, and you know this this offense. And we'll get into it in just a bit with a bit here. Well, things that they're doing well. Uh, but you know, there are things to point to where maybe this Gator team is turning the corner in some ways and complete and can com- can put that complete game together. Uh, this game actually reminded me of the 2018, I guess it would have been 2019, whatever bowl it was that where LSU <sighs> played UCF. Uh-huh. And I watched that game and I was rooting for LSU because God, I just didn't want UCF to have an undefeated season and start <laughs> claiming fake national championships two years in a row. And, um, and that was the game where Burrow got drilled and, and, and all sorts of stuff. And LSU dominated that game. 
just absolutely dominated the game and could not put Central Florida away because they kept shooting themselves in the foot. And I was like, God, it must be so frustrating to be an LSU fan. Like I even I know I tweeted it during the game because I was just sitting there going, this team sucks to root for because they just can't put them away, even though they're dominating. That's what it felt like to me with Florida against against Texas A&M. Now, look, A&M is not as good as that UCF team is. I don't think Florida's as good as that LSU team was. You know, the idea that Florida's going to go on some 2019 LSU run, I think, is far-fetched. But that's where this team is, right? This team is in a place where two steps forward, one step back almost all the time. And so, you know, you, you look at sort of what's happened over the last three, four, five weeks, it's felt like a lot of steps back without a whole lot of steps forward. So I look at this one and go, hey, we took some steps forward in yeah. this game significant steps forward and you know david wonderlook over gator country had an interesting tweet where or a set of tweets where he was talking about you know it almost felt like the early in the season florida the coaches were trying to fill so many holes and trying to put you know there, there's holes in the dam and they're trying to put fingers in all those holes and they just can't do it and so they they were coming out and getting dominated in the third quarter because the halftime adjustments the opposition was making seemed to be sort of getting florida on its heels in the last two weeks, that hasn't happened. Florida has been the aggressor coming out of the coming out of halftime. And and Wonderlick's point was is it feels like things are starting to slow down, not just for the players, but also for the staff in terms of there aren't as many holes in the dam that they're trying to fill as these guys are starting to get more familiar with the system. So look, it's incredibly frustrating to watch. I mean, there were like four or five times where you're just like, Yes, this is the opportunity. Finish them, <laughs> especially when they were down in the red zone and they had that fourth and yeah. you know, fourth and one and they turned man, it into they, a ran, minus they, 10. They, they ran the toss play there and i was like man hurry up to the line and run the same play again of course and slow it down and then this discombobulated mess on the offensive line i was just like i would have ran the to- i would have hurried up and ran the toss play right again well so that one's frustrating and then the other one that just oh my because of where it was in the game and, and the defense had not stepped up and stopped anything yet right at the end of the half where they yeah. come out and get a delay a game to start with and then Richardson and I think it was Montreal Johnson go the wrong way yeah. on the one of them goes the wrong way on the handoff and you're sitting there at second and 15 with like 50 seconds left you just let the clock run down you're like uh, this might be the worst three minutes of Gator football I think I've ever seen yeah, in my life, except for I just watched the Tennessee game earlier this year where, <laughs> where where the end of the first half and the beginning of the second was probably the worst three minutes of Gator football I'd seen. So, uh, you know, look, there's a lot of things to fix, and I, and I think Napier acknowledges that. I think the team acknowledges that. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that they did take a couple of steps forward. And one of the steps that they took forward, and I've seen a couple of people, I wrote a little bit about it, I saw that uh, Neil Blackman wrote about it too, is this is the best game Anthony Richardson's played Mm. from a consistency standpoint and i think that's important when we start talking about where this team can go and how it's developing and potentially what might be might be in store next year depending upon what ends up happening with richardson so again i I, you know i don't want to sit here and say it's all sunshine and rainbows because if they come out and lay an egg get south carolina next week i'm not going to be surprised but if they come out and beat south carolina by 40 i'm not going to be surprised either this team has an enormous ceiling and a really a really low floor and they find ways to oscillate between those during games <laughs> and, in ways and I can't remember for a Gator team <laughs> and it's frustrating and fascinating and aggravating and and exhilarating all at the same time cuz you know you're sitting there and you know they a&M scores that touchdown to go up, I think, 14 to 10. And five seconds later, Anthony Richardson's running for 60 yards. And you're like, he's jogging, but he's jogging right past everybody. Like, he makes he makes guys look like they're barely moving. And it's just like, he's so physically gifted. You look at it, you go, 
wow, this has the opportunity to be really, really good if they can start getting this stuff together. And, you know, look, I never said that last year, right? Last year I looked at the team and I said, all right, Emory Jones is going to have to mm-hmm. uh, improve, but his his ceiling is not this. And so they sort of oscillated between a floor that was pretty crappy and a ceiling that w- they just kind of kept hitting the ceiling. This team hasn't even hit its ceiling yet and has the ability to put up 40, 41 points in a game that they could have put up 60 yeah. easily if they'd have just done stuff consistently. So a lot, a lot of good and a lot, a lot of bad. And like I said, sort of reminds me of some of those LSU teams under, under coach O where uh, you wonder where uh, like you, you were never surprised when those teams came out inconsistent just because of who the coach was and sort of LSU's reputation, but Florida sort of, sort of going through that right now. And it, like I said, it's frustrating, but also fascinating to watch. Yeah. This was this, this game in the, Oh, what could have been is, Oh, what could have been, it would have been a blowout instead of the, Oh, what could have been, the things that went wrong contributed to a loss. This was uh, things that went wrong just didn't contribute to a blowout <laughs> Florida's way. So, yeah, and uh, kudos to the I mean, team against, for that. Yeah, I mean, against a three and six opponent who's yeah. missing half the team because of the flu, right? So, uh, all all things that need to be taken into account. And so, if Florida comes out of this, you know. Uh, reading news clippings and thinking that they they don't need to improve anymore, they're going to come out and get smacked next week. If they come out and recognize that you know this was a lot closer than a seventeen point win, and probably shouldn't have been this close, and there's a lot of stuff to fix, then they they're going to come out and either be really really competitive with South Carolina, or even you know they have the potential to blow them off the field. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So and we'll we'll start taking a look at some things uh, in order for this team uh, to put that complete game together. But before we do, here's a message from our friends. From Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. All right, as we get back started right here on Gators Breakdown, one more time, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you're watching right here on YouTube. Well, I think something we should probably discuss here in things that could contribute to a complete game for Florida, and we've seen it these last couple of weeks, are lack of turnovers on offense and creating turnovers uh, on defense. Uh, it was It's 5-0, the turnover margin, the last two games for the Gators. Um, of course, five turnovers, no uh, force for the defense, and no turnovers for the Gators. Uh, and after what we saw earlier this season, that is that is something big here, especially from the quarterback position there and Anthony Richardson. So no interceptions for him in the last three games uh, and no turnovers at all from the offense in the last three games. Uh, but uh, I kind of just went back to the last two, the special teams, the LSU game was the muff punt there. They got the turnover. Uh, but, of course, the defense forced three turnovers versus Georgia to help Florida get back into that game. Uh, and then this past week, 
at Texas A&M. The defense hit quarterback Haynes King back-to-back possessions, forcing fumbles, uh, basically ensured they would not be able to uh, uh, amount a comeback. So, Will, we have come a long way. If the, Look, this defense, and I've given them credit in one regard this season for everything that is all bad about them. They have been able to create some turnovers, uh, create some big plays for Florida in, in, in that regard. But just the growth of Anthony Richardson. Now, I mean, look, I know it's no, no turnovers in the last three games for him. That has amounted only to a one and two record. Now, don't get me wrong; you 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 weren't winning the Georgia game no matter what. Now, that's just you know a, a miracle happened. Uh, but you know, no turnovers from him from what we've saw earlier this season. That it, it is a big deal. I, it should not be gloss. I don't care who you've played. I don't necessarily even care what the record is, or even if he's got away with some. After what we saw earlier this year. Big, big improvement for not turning the ball over for him. And now the defense uh, contributing on their side as well and creating turnovers. We didn't see turnover versus LSU besides that. uh, Like I said, it was on special teams, not the defense. Yeah, get one in that game. Maybe you pull that one out uh, at the same time. But in the last couple of games, and especially this one uh, versus Texas A&M, and we'll get into it because it was some new faces causing those turnovers, uh, if the Gators are going to put a complete game together, I think they, they, they might can keep this string up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Anthony Richardson, overall, his QB rating is 128, which we would want that to be up in the 145 to 150 range for this offense to really be humming. He was at 145 against Texas A&M, which is one of the reasons why the offense was pretty good. Um, you know, he's, he's putting up unbelievable amounts of rushing yards, right? So he has seven rushes in this game for 78 yards, though there were a couple of sacks there in the second half that, that contributed to that. They clearly decided early on that they were going to let him run the ball. Uh, they had a couple of read options. They had one. The the 60-yard run was actually a designed run. That in I don't think that was a read option play. I think that was designed for him to do that. Um, and so now, so now you got a guy who's running all over the place. The defense has to respect it, and that's opening things up in the passing game, and he's hitting those passes. You know, the, the passes to Shorter and to Pierce all over the middle and the things that are open, he's no longer am, airmailing. It's been a while since he's just completely airmailed like two or three in a row. I mean, he's missed one or two, but he hasn't airmailed. It hasn't been like the Kentucky game at all. Again, I mean, you you look at the LSU game, QB rating 135, Georgia 119, A&M 145. You know, that's all, that's pretty good. His QBR against uh, against LSU was 88. It was 93 against Texas A&M, 53 against Georgia. But again, if you look at what Georgia did against Hendon Hooker this past week. <laughs> hey, you read my mind. That's where I was going. <laughs> you start saying, all right, yeah, like uh, maybe it's okay. And, you know, you think about what he did against Georgia last year and then what he did against Georgia this year. There's yeah. clearly a step forward, especially in the second half this year. So, has Richardson gotten a lot better? Absolutely, he has. Is this offense start? Is he starting to get a hold of what Billy Napier is asking him to do in this offense? Absolutely. Are there still things he's missing? Yeah, and you know, you you could even tell. Um, Gator Nation Football Podcast did a really nice breakdown of a of the play where he overshot shorter against Georgia, where he had a guy streaking deep and could have hit him. Yeah. Um, they they looked at it from behind, and you could see something where it's like, oh yeah, he'd, like. It turned out shorter came open too, and he should have had the first down. But man, that that could have been a touchdown or a really long gain if he'd have seen it and thrown it out there. But those are the sorts of things that, especially against a team like Georgia, that speeds you up, you're going to miss. And I think yeah. one of the nice things about this game against AM is that there were a few times where it felt like he got sped up, especially down the red zone. 
but at least between the twenties, he's he's things are slowing down for him. You can tell it's slowing down. He's not leaving the pocket as early as he has earlier in the year. He's making nice, confident throws. The, um, I think it was a throw to Xavier Henderson on like a third and seventeen, where he hit him right in stride across the middle, right as Henderson. Oh, something happened to Will there. He'll hop back in just a second. That's, that's happened a couple times uh, there. But um, there, talking about AR's growth um, throughout this season. Um, Will um, we'll should be hopping in here uh, anytime uh, again. Hopefully, anyway. Uh, but yeah, good stuff there um, as we're looking at you know Anthony Richardson's progression progress throughout the season there we are it happened again will hey that happens hadn't happened in a while it happened, it happened in a while yeah, yeah but you were uh, you were left off on him hitting xavier henderson yeah he hit xavier henderson like 17 yards over the middle the ball's a little bit late and that's the thing that you start to notice right the guy's open you see him open the ball's a little bit late turns into a 17 yard gain you start asking okay if you hit him in stride before and giving him a chance to juke the safety does he have an opportunity for a bigger play so those sorts of things are the things that richardson is going to improve on but the fact that he found the right guy in the progression hit him and was able to convert a big third down into a first down early on in the game i think is significant the fourth down and six, the one where he sort of did a little shovel pass um, to, to Montreal Johnson. Honestly, that's a play they ought to run, right? They ought to put a receiver out there and and put the corner in conflict where he either has to decide, am I going to come up and, and tackle Anthony Richardson and then Richardson can pitch it out wide or – Am I going to let Richardson run free? <laughs> and either way, Florida's happy, right? Like you either have a running back that's very, very skilled in the open field, running downfield with a safety that he has to beat, or you have Richardson running down the field with a safety that he has to beat. In both cases, that's a win for Florida. I hope they look at that play. And I, I know it was probably mostly accidental, but the play, you know, the plays where they like really spread out yeah. um, Xavier Henderson wide, keep him a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and then run that read option. When, when Richardson keeps it, if he doesn't want to get drilled, just leave that option out there because he's a quarterback. He can throw the ball out there as long as he's not past the line of scrimmage and, and it can turn into a big game. As long as your offensive linemen know they can't get downfield before that happens, then you're golden. So I think there's some things they can take there. Um, again, I mean, I, Richardson's not perfect. He hasn't had a game against a quality opponent where he's just lit them up other than maybe Tennessee, you could say that. Um, but even that was a lot of smoke and mirrors with going forward on fourth downs and and things like that. And a lot of a lot of Richardson's yards sort of came in garbage time when Florida was already behind by, by 14 points and scrambling to come back. Can't take anything away from him. He was able to convert the convert the passes and be accurate. But at the same time, um, one of these things we're going to have to see in the next, and hopefully it's against Florida State because I think that's where they'll need it, is him being able to come out, be pinpoint with his accuracy, be able to run, have some of those wrinkles that are in there, and and really sort of put Florida on his back with his arm. Right? Can he can he go out there and have a QB rating of 180 in a in a game against a quality opponent and just move Florida up and down the field? Because I gotta be honest, if he has a QB rating of 180, Florida's gonna score 50, and uh, you know they may need to against Florida State, but uh, that'll be a fun game. Yeah, I think another sign of progress will, and hopefully we see it Saturday. Because uh, you mentioned Florida State, and I was gonna kind of make a joke there, but I don't want to take away this weekend. So progress for Anthony Richardson. Play a game like that at home. <laughs> we haven't seen it since Utah. You played well versus Tennessee. You played well uh, versus Texas A&M in true road games. I want to see you at home versus South Carolina this week. And then, of course, on the road uh, to end the season in Nashville versus Vanderbilt uh, and against FSU. 
Thanksgiving weekend. So, uh, you know, that's something we want to see uh, right there. But, yeah, credit also, Will, to this defense, of course, uh, as I mentioned, the last two weeks, uh, five turnovers there, three versus Georgia, two versus Texas A&M. Uh, got you back in the Georgia game. Uh, A&M, it kind of helped you put the game away. Uh, but big time, and kind of going to the next point here, uh, was contributors, uh, Will. And all the contributors for this – well, not all the contributors for this Gator team, but a lot of main contributors for this Gator team are faces that we didn't see for Florida last year and a lot of faces we'll see on the field next year. Uh, for the Gators. Now, of course, you have your Anthony Richardsons and your Ventrell Miller, Mario Bernie's, Jervon Dexter, a few offensive linemen as well, as names we expected to contribute and have some big names this season. But I think you start looking at some of the top players on this team, and you have ETN and Montreal Johnson, Caleb Douglas this past week, Ricky Pearsall uh, from the transfer portal, Osiris Torrance just named SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. You know, that's freshmen and portal acquisitions that are instrumental for what the Gators have done this season or either just showed up just past Saturday uh, that were they were not on the team last season. We, these guys were not Gators uh, <laughs> last season. Uh, when you look at that group I just named, and then you add in Prince of Human Miel and Powell Ryland, Lloyd Summerall, Justice Spoon as names that are younger players on this team that are just now getting the reps and now impact reps uh, that we see. Uh, so I think you know, as the season ends as we look at these last three games you got the contributors that were not on this team last year kind of mixing in will with some of the younger players uh with this gator team now that are now getting the snaps and at least this past saturday really showed up and made an impact yeah i'm sorry i don't understand what it means to play younger players i'm I'm unfamiliar (laughs) with that concept um it's been nice to see right really Uh, guys like guys like douglas getting in like you mentioned pearsall transfer coming over osiris torrance starting the whole year from the from coming over from the transfer portal but etn at running back and uh you know, I, I think I think that's hopefully what we're going to see because Florida's going to need it, right? Florida needs an infusion of talent. They need an infusion of quote unquote Napier's guys. I think in order to make this work, him and some of the other tight ends that he's going to bring in. That you know, Cameron Waits next year is a guy that I can't wait to see play because I suspect he's going to be man in one of the tackle spots. Um, and, and you know, guys that he's bringing in right now that we just you know we don't know which ones of the guys in the 2023 class are going to contribute but we can expect that two three four of them are going to just because two three or four of them have from this class and so it's nice to see some of those freshmen getting an opportunity look i mean you know we haven't we haven't seen douglas much at all and all of a sudden in this game he's playing a key role we saw marcus burke a couple of times Mm -hmm. um not necessarily (laughs) on a couple where it wasn't necessarily accurate to him but he's out there and and it's really felt weird halfway through this year where it's basically been shorter pearsall and henderson and nobody else and this game against a&m you started to see those other guys get an opportunity and i think that's one of the things that we're going to see you, know, you sort of play as hard well, as you but, can up to that. And before you go to that point, they had to. Brenton Cox, out. Somebody needs to step up. Justin Shorter, out this game. Somebody needs to step up, and guys did. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's the way it is in the SEC. We've actually been very fortunate from an injury standpoint yes, this very, year. Yep. Um, you know, if this had been a 2013 type of season with injuries, um, you know, we'd be talking, we'd be talking about whether Vanderbilt is the only SEC win <laughs> we're going to get, right? If it had been that bad where you're down to your third quarterback and, you know, the whole offensive line's decimated and those sorts of things. And, 
And luckily we haven't had that. But because we haven't had that, we haven't had a lot of the young guys have to step in. Britton Cox gets dismissed. You've had a couple of injuries on the offensive line. But other than that, you haven't really. Justin Shorter, like you mentioned, misses this one. The guys have to step up. And- well, you know what? And I left one off. I'm glad you brought Austin Barber. Yeah, his name should be on that list, too, I just named. Uh, I, I just put there. Yeah, well, and Tarquin comes back in this game, and, mm-hmm. and certainly I think the offensive line all year long has has acquitted itself pretty well. So, um, you know, it's funny. At 5-4, and four, you sort of feel like, oh, like this wouldn't be the – like this isn't the season we're proud of or anything like that. And I, I think that's true to some extent. At the same time, there are a lot of bright spots that we're seeing in the the 5-4 and four and in the growth. And, uh, you know, it's okay to acknowledge that, and it's good to see some of these young guys get an opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. As you said, not perfect there by any means, but I mean, Trevor Etienne's probably going to—I would assume—at least all SEC freshmen, maybe at the national level uh, as well. And man, well, I mean, I'm not a big Robert Griffin fan. I like his analysis, but his jokes kind of fall flat. But man, his uh, his band aid comment about all Etienne's cuts there—I was like, okay, there you go, there you, there you go, RG. I like I like that one. But I mean, Etienne, that was okay. Then when he started talking about Johnson Johnson making money, like he just completely lost. Me. There were like four or five of them. So uh, you know, if, if you didn't see the broadcast, I suggest you watch it on mute. Yeah, yeah. If, if if he would just stick to more analysis, I'm okay with that. I, I like, it, but he goes. He goes a little too far sometimes with the, with the uh, well, try, trying to be funny, I guess. Well, this is why Mick Hubert and uh, and and Sean Kelly have jobs is because <laughs> the uh, the broadcast is uh, uh, more energetic, may I say, for for those for those and and they know the team. I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing with the national broadcast is there are times where you're like, yeah, that's not right. I follow this team. That that's not a, that's not a correct assessment of what's going on here. Yeah, because they said Justin and, Shorter, uh, one of the fastest players on the team. I'm like. Eh. What? <laughs> sure. Yeah. We don't. I mean, let's start getting to speed somewhere, but not not football fan. That's not a shot at Justin Shorter. That's just you know that's the reality of the situation there. Well, Shorter's a good player. He's right. The kind of yeah. That's just. In fact, I think Anthony Richardson is the fastest guy on the team. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Him and Jason Marshall put put those guys on the outside and let them race. Yeah, but well, I mean, yeah. Powell comes in six tackles, two for loss. You know, Cox had. Um, two games this season where he produced more than that. Ten versus Utah, nine versus USF uh, as far as tackles goes. So Powell up there, um, you know, just uh, the way he could just came in. and, and we, It was surprising. And a lot of people would say, well, hey, this is why he should have been playing more anyway. He had played enough this season to where I think if he was producing like that, he would have been out there. He had enough snaps this year to – you know, to to put that out there. But I do think, you know, something switches. Sometimes when you are labeled the guy, it is your – I mean, Billy Napier kind of even said it. When it's when it's your turn to step up, he stepped up, you know, and he, he played enough snaps this season. There's been some potential there. But I, I credit to him, too, when it's all in his shoulders and he has to go out there and perform, he did so. Yeah, I mean, guys have different personalities, right? So – when Spurrier was in Gainesville, everybody always sort of questioned his ripping the quarterbacks in and out and that sort of stuff. And it's, uh, you know, to be honest, I think it probably took a special personality to be able to deal with that from the standpoint of it was never really your job. I mean, Werfel, even his freshman year, got pulled in and out quite a bit. And you got to be able to handle that if you've got a coach like Steve Spurrier because that's his, that's the way he operates, especially at the quarterback position. And some guys can thrive in that environment where the pressure of being on their toes and making sure they don't make a mistake is 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 paramount to getting them to perform. 
and other guys look at that and need the freedom to be able to go make a mistake to play free. And yeah, you make a mistake, but they still stay out there. You make a bunch of mistakes, you come off the field, but you make one mistake. It's like, okay, we're still going to let you go out there. Still going to let you continue. You're not, you're not losing your playing time by making one mistake. And I think in many ways that may be what happened with both human, human Milan and Powell Island, right? They, they, knew they had to be out there. The staff didn't really have anybody behind them, at least not that much. And so if they make a mistake or two, okay, we're going to have to live with it. They're going to have to learn. And then once they realize they don't make one mistake and get pulled off the field, well, now you can start to play a little bit more free. You can start to go downhill a little bit. You know that if you lose contain on a particular instance that you're not going to get yanked off the field. And so, you know, you're able to do things more freely and able to actually get to the quarterback at that point. Um, you know, is that true or not? I don't know. I mean, Napier talked all about the the human element and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff and said we don't like writing about it. Well, the reason we don't writing about it is because we don't understand. Like, we can't understand <laughs> right. it being in the it's locker room. It's hard to measure. Right? Like, yeah, that is hard to measure. That's, that's not a measurable. But beyond that, it, it's just like it turns and it's sort of like recruiting right i mean we talk about recruiting it's like you win because you bring in the best players it's usually not the other way around you usually don't start winning and then everybody goes ooh i'm going to go to florida it's like no it's not the way it works i think chemistry is sort of the same way like if that locker room had if that game had ended after the first half no one's talking about how the how the chemistry of the team is improving and and all that sort of stuff it's like now you got your butt whipped in the first half and you know, the chemistry sucks because, because nobody's happy with the way things are going. You turn it around and you dominate the second half. And everybody goes, oh, the chemistry is improving. Turns out winning winning really cures a lot of chemistry problems. But there are a lot of teams that when they're 13-0 and 0, love each other and when they're 7-6 and 6, hate each other. And, uh, you know, the fact that they're the fact that they're close at five and four, I think, is an important thing. I think that's a that's a critical thing for Napier as he builds the program. At the same time, I think the win over A&M makes that locker room seem a lot more copacetic than it would have had uh, had Haynes King been able to lead them back. Yeah, well, so that kind of goes to the final point here. Look, hopefully this bleeds over. Hopefully, the, hopefully this is a turning point. Hopefully they have found something. And, you know, I said it a couple weeks ago during the bye week. Maybe they find something during the bye week that can carry them uh, throughout the rest of the year. We may not see it versus Georgia, uh, but we want to see it the rest of the schedule, the last month of the season. And hopefully that, hopefully paired with the, the second half of Texas A&M. Don't get me wrong, uh, you know, as Billy Napier says, they're still looking for that complete game. It, it keeps him away because, you know, why can't they get off to a better start? Why can't they get off to a faster start? I mean, I'm sure that's kind of, you know, the, the next step of the progression here uh, for this Gator team uh, and specifically for this Gator defense. But um, you hope that this was a turning point. You hope they find something here. Uh, does it make you feel better about the rest of the season, Will? what they did on Saturday. I mean, it, it, it's better than the alternative, I suppose. That's very true. If it, if it had been 41 to 24 A&M coming out of that game, it would have been kind of a, I would absolutely a miserable feel, podcast yeah, I, tonight. Right? And I, I would absolutely feel worse. So, yeah, you flip it around, you have to feel better, right? Well, so here's what I will say is that I think the defense is what the defense is. I think it's going to have some limitations. I think we know that. The fact that it was able to turn things around the second half is great. We hope that they build on that. But anybody who thinks this is going to be an elite defense even by the end of the year is kidding themselves. They're going to have to sort of paper over the the they're going to have to paper over the holes and the imperfections and that's going to be the way the defense is going to be the rest of the year. What that means is is that if they're going to end up 8 and 4, it's going to be an offensive um, it's going to be an offensive push to get to that point. And this game does make me a little bit more confident in that one. So they, mm-hmm. A&M is not a bad defense, right? They have some bad components on defense, but they're not a bad defense. Florida averaged 6.3 yards per play, but I think more and had seven explosives. But I think more importantly, if you take the explosives out, 
They average 4.2 yards per play. And if you compare that against, say, LSU, they, they average 6.7 yards per play, but they only averaged 3.2 when you took out the explosives. They had a 43% success rate in this game, which is the highest success rate they've had against non-Eastern Washington teams since the Tennessee game. And so what you're seeing, I think, is an offense that is now becoming explosive but also is becoming a little bit more consistent. Now they could go back to having, you know, a 25% success rate or 27% success rate like they did against Georgia. And I'll be like, okay, well there's that step back after a couple of steps forward. But if they can maintain that efficiency, they don't need to be like the best, the most efficient team in the SEC. I think I said last week, like the success rate for 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 the average SEC team is around forty five percent. And if they can get up around forty five percent from a success rate perspective, this offense is explosive enough. They're going to hit big plays. There you go. I was so, I was going to say if they can pay, can, can pair that with the explosives that we've seen, then yeah, you're right. I, that's something to to hang your hat on. Yeah, so I look at that and I go, that's progress. The fa- and, and it actually makes sense, right? You had the game against Utah, and that was probably they they outperformed expectations. And Utah didn't really know what to do with Anthony Richardson. And, and once Kentucky sort of showed, hey, if you drop back in the zone and make him beat you in zone, he's going to struggle. Well, now all of, a, all of a sudden he struggles against Kentucky and USF. Comes out, has a really good game against Tennessee, but they didn't use him – but like I said, that, there were some smoke and mirrors there, and obviously Tennessee's defense has been exposed against Alabama and against Georgia last week. All of us, but he's and he's still turning the ball over, over and over and over and over and over again, right? Which is really hindering what the offense can do. So now you come out to the Missouri game, still turning the ball over, but now the success rate's thirty percent. Basically, they're pulling back on how aggressive they are on first and second down, and you can see Richardson kind of pulling back on how aggressive he is on the first couple of downs there because he's afraid to turn the ball over. And now against LSU, Georgia, and A&M, that success rate has crept up slowly. Obviously, the Georgia game, everything's sort of suppressed because of Georgia and how good they are. But you're starting to see those things start to creep up, um, especially when you consider the second half against Georgia and now this entire game against Texas A&M. So it wasn't perfect from Richardson. I think there's still a lot of places to improve. But if you're asking me, do I feel better about the team heading into these last three games, that's the place I look at. I look at and I go, they were a whole lot more efficient against Texas A&M than they have been really at any point in the season, maybe save save the Tennessee game. And so if he can maintain that efficiency, if the team can maintain that efficiency, this team's going to be putting up 42, 43 points a game for the remainder of the year. And look, even with all the warts you have on on defense, if you're putting up 40 points a game, mm-hmm. you're going to have an opportunity to win some of these games. And you know, other teams are going to have to have the same struggle that Florida has had all year, which is you know, every time – Florida gave up a touchdown against AM. It was like, God, the offense is under so much pressure to try to respond back. And if as an offense you can put the other team in that situation, well, now that's when the turnovers come, right? The turnovers mm-hmm. come when you make the other team feel that pressure. And we saw that again with King. King has to hold it an extra beat. He's waiting for guys to get downfield. All of a sudden, he gets drilled from behind. We saw that a little bit against Georgia, too, where they started to get a little bit of pressure on Stetson Bennett there in the second half. Bennett made some bad throws. And Look, I mean, Amari Bernie made a great play. Uh, they get the fumble on the first play coming out, of the, coming out of the third quarter after they score the touchdown coming down. Um, some of those are fluky, right? I mean, you don't always recover every fumble and those sorts of things. But the fact that the defense is starting to become opportunistic as they get the other team to press, I think, is probably a good sign. So, you know, look, I, we could come well, back Even go, even go back to the LSU game. I know Dervon Dexter gets called for that penalty, but you got the pressure there on Jaden Daniels. You get the pick from Jason Marshall. Now, of course, it doesn't stand, but there, there is an example of kind of well, – one more example kind of going to your point there. Yeah, so, I mean, look, I, I think, again, 
not a perfect team. Yeah. We all know they're not a perfect team, but we're starting to see some some progress. And that, I think, has been the most frustrating part of the team, especially with the LSU sort of you know, just stink bombs, especially on the defensive side of the ball, yeah. is we're sitting there going, God, just is there progress at all on that side of the ball? And I think the last couple of weeks we've started to see some progress. Is it perfect? No. Nope. And, and I don't think it's going to be perfect the rest of the year. Again, I think this is like that LSU team in 2018. And I'm not sure everybody watched it the way I did, but because I was rooting against Central Florida so hard, it was so frustrating to watch that team just not be able to put the game away, not be able to do the simple things, right? It wasn't that that team couldn't make the explosive plays. It was that they couldn't do the simple things. And that's what I feel like about this Florida team, which is what makes it so interesting. Because once they get a hold of the of the simple things, they're going to score 45 points a game. And once they trust each other on defense, they're going to be able to hold teams to you know, 17, 24 points. And you know, you're going to win a lot of games, 40 to 24, if you're able to, if you're able to put those two things together. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic about what's going to happen. I think, you know, two weeks ago after the L or three weeks ago after the LSU game, I would have told you, ooh. Like seven and five, eight and four is kind of a pipe dream. Like let's just get to six and 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 get the bowl game. And uh, you know, at this point now, I'm getting greedy, right? I kind of yeah. penciling in that Vanderbilt as a win, and now you got the two games against Florida State and South Carolina to say, can we get it done? Can we get to? I mean, look, if if Napier goes eight and four in his first year, I think you got to say, job well done, given the schedule that they had on the open, you know, for the first for the first eight games of the year. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure we would have said that last week. Right. <laughs> they were 4-4 four, four coming out of the Georgia game, considering what we saw on the defensive side of the ball. But, I mean, I even said this, I think, after the Tennessee game, which was, you know, the defense was dead last in the SEC in just about every category. And the question becomes, can the defense get to sort of like bottom third of the country? And that's kind of what you're looking for, right? Now that they're playing against teams that aren't explosive, now that they're playing against teams that aren't as good as the teams they played early in the year, can they creep up in those rankings to a point where you look at it and go, wow, I see real discernible statistical progress with this defense. Not just, oh, the first half they played played terrible and the second half they played well. It's can I see the real statistical markers that this that this thing is moving in the right direction? If we can start to see that progress, then I think we'll head into 2023 really encouraged by where the program's going. Yeah, it does make me feel better about the rest of the season, too, Will. Especially, hey, you're saying they can score 40 points. Well, I think 40 points beats South Carolina. I think 40 points beats Vanderbilt. Florida State, I'll give them some credit. I'm not sure 40 points beat them. That game could be a shootout. <laughs> Black Friday night in Tallahassee right there. But, you know, I think that will – that might be there's a there's a storyline there's an arc out there right now about the skater team is you know will the tough schedule they've played so far pay off? Um, I don't know how much that'll mean the twelfth game of the season when you're going against FSU. Um, we'll get to that point there, and it, it, you hope that pays off. You hope all the trials and tribulations this Gator team has went through with this tough schedule so far. Uh, let's get through the next two, of course, but you know looking ahead uh, and kind of you know jokingly. Florida gets to that 40-point mark. You know, hopefully, hopefully it pays off that last game of the season right there. You, you need to win games where you score 40 points. I don't think I'm breaking <laughs> news here um, when, when, I, when I make that statement. You know, look, not I mean, only that, that's a, that's, a, that's a rival too and has not been a rival this year. You lost to Tennessee. You lost to LSU. You lost to Georgia. You got to go beat FSU there at the end of the year. But I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, I guess, but. Well, I don't know. Hopefully, they have that uh, that severed head for whoever makes the play in the Florida <laughs> State to, to go stand up like like Chauncey Gardner Johnson yeah. there in the stands after the after the win. 
That is crazy because of COVID. You know, we had that, that's the last time we've been in Tallahassee. You can't, you can't lose on Ron Zook Field. Man. You got to go, uh, <laughs> go put it away. Uh, yeah, Jimbo's not on that sideline. It wouldn't have mattered this year, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They ran him out of town. It turns out they'd love to do that at A&M. They just don't want to pay him the $80 million it's going to take to get rid of him. <laughs> man, that Boy, is. I should have been a head football coach. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying every time, I think, every time I look at the buyouts. I'm like, holy crap. Like, I could have gone and coached a Bowling Green or something. <laughs> Kind of crazy. Uh, here's the saying: Be good enough to get fired. <laughs> Be good enough to get the huge buyout. That's, that's the... <laughs> oh man! Oh, uh, what you got? What you guys got coming up at reading reaction this week, Will? Yeah, man. So obviously, a preview for the South Carolina games coming up. And I, like I said, I'm working on something. There's been a lot of talk out there about um, Florida has more talent than the, than the teams that it's played. And so the defense should be playing better. I think there's some truth to that, but I think there's also some myth about sort of the talent rankings and where those sit. And, um, look, I'm as big a recruiting person as there is out there, but I think that, uh, you know, there's some things that we should take a look at when we're evaluating that statement as well. So hopefully I'll have something up either this week or next week about that too. Sounds good. Sounds good. You can find read and reaction. Will's work, Nick's work's there, readandreaction.com on YouTube, read and reaction as well. Follow Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.